Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What brand first made an impact on you as a young girl? I'm going to say McDonald's. One of the first memories I have is having a strawberry shortcake birthday at a McDonald's where there was a merry-go-round. Don't ask me why I remember that. I also grew up living overseas and I was living in Cairo, Egypt when the first McDonald's opened. And I remember this sense of familiarity the second we walked in. And in hindsight, right, it was like my first experience with globalization of of great brands, but there was a nostalgia there and a sense of home and comfort that was hard to express in a, in a third world country at the time. And, you know, I'm still a fan of the brand. I come from a, my family lives in a small town in Wyoming and we still drive to get McDonald's soft serve on hot summer days because there's something so amazing about McDonald's soft serve. So there it is, I'd say McDonald's. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Heidi Cooley, the SVP and Chief Marketing Officer of Crocs, the clog sandal shoe company founded in 2002 in Broomfield, Colorado. Let's face it, a lot of people think these shoes are just plain ugly, and some simply love them. Heidi and her team embraced the polarization, celebrated the ugliness, and now have one hot brand. Sales in 2020 of $1.4 billion, 13% growth, and even stronger growth so far in 2021, and a stock price that has nearly tripled in a year. Heidi has been at Crocs for five years, and about six months ago was promoted SVP and Chief Marketing Officer. Before that, Heidi spent nine years at Sports Authority. A lifelong lover of fashion and design, a kid who grew up internationally, a mom of two daughters, this is my conversation with Heidi Cooley. Heidi, welcome to the CMO Podcast and happy Croctober. Yes! Oh my gosh, happy Croctober, our favorite month of the year. (laughs) Well, I'm going to ask you how you're celebrating that in a moment, but this episode is dropping or coming out very close to October 23rd, which actually is Croc Day. And all of October has been this enormous brand activation for you and actually one of the best I've seen. So I want you to start with how did this idea happen? What was the catalyst? How did you bring everyone around to it and execute as brilliantly as you're doing? And how's it going? Oh, well, okay. The The way Croctober happened is a, is a fantastic story, actually. So we are a brand that has led our transformation driven by this kind of consumer-centric approach that is really grounded, actually, in social listening. Um, and so I want to say it was back in 2017 
We at Crocs woke up on October 23rd at that point in time to trending on Twitter. And I think it's pretty safe to say that Crocs had never (laughs) trended on Twitter. And come to find out as the team quickly dug into the insight, we had fans all over the U.S. celebrating Crocs on National Crocodile Day. They were making cakes. They were showing us incredible content of their Crocs walls and Crocs closets. And we knew we had to turn that into a moment to celebrate those fans. And so the following year, um, we created National Croc Day, so Croctober 23rd. And we introduced our first special makeup product. It was actually our first product that we brought to market that was driven by um, consumer listening. And it's this incredible gold crocodile kind of skinned molded classic that we sold on Croc Day and sold out within minutes. And we knew that we had this incredibly loyal and engaged fan base at that moment. Uh, That campaign turned into Croctober the following year, a month that we now celebrate around the world. And that moment is really grounded in celebrating our fans. We are a brand that believe we exist because of our fans and the relevance that we've created with them. And so it really is a moment that we look to celebrate them the entire month all over the world. And then we love to surprise and delight them with incredible product on National Croc Day, Croctober 23rd. So what's the most outrageous activation happening in Croctober in your mind? I know you're doing something on Times Square. Is that the most outrageous? I Well, that was the start. Um, I think what I'm really personally excited about this year is we'll be introducing a Bitmoji um, that you'll be able to put Crocs on your Bitmoji and pair them with your favorite Jebbits, which has been something the fans have been asking of our brand for years now. And I'm really excited about the product we'll be introducing on National Croc Day as well. Uh, A little hint is that there's a little something um, from an icon perspective that will be coming back um, to our fans. Super. Now on the business results, I know you can only share so much on that, but I assume this is having a good impact if you're doing it year after year. It does. Yes. I think our most important KPI for Croctober is actually fan engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, we really focus on ensuring that it's creating resonance with this core consumer group that have named themselves Croc Nation. Actually, they are really passionate about the brand and they're really aligned to these core values of Crocs, you know, values like self-expression and um, being one of a kind and being unique. So engagement is our number one priority. But yes, we see, you know, really strong increases in demand around our core iconic products, such as the classic clog, classic sandals um, throughout the month as well. It's also October, right? The month where, you know, retail is typically pretty quiet. So our partners all over the world also love that we create this type of campaign in a month that's usually kind of the lull before the holidays. Speaking of fans now, and I want to tell you, Heidi, that in preparation for this episode, I did my own original research with some incredible Croc fans. I went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I went to a family that is Crocs crazy. And I interviewed two of your biggest fans in that family, but they're all fans. And I asked them for ideas, impressions, what they think Crocs should do. So I want to share a few of those questions from your fans with you. They come from Teddy and Ollie. Teddy is five. Ollie is almost four. And he's approaching his fourth birthday. And I want to share the first question, which I think comes from Ollie. So let's hear from Ollie to start, our, as we should, start this podcast with your, with your fans. 
I'm going to translate that a little bit for you if you didn't hear that. Do you make running Crocs? Ooh, great question, Ollie. <laughs> actually, yes, we, we actually have fans today that have ran marathons in our classic clog, um, but we do have some, some support versions as well, um, whether it's an iconic clog, we've got some lace-up shoes that um, Ollie can definitely hit the streets in as well. Yes. Now I have Teddy and Ollie together. They're very passionate about this next question. So I'm going to run that by you right now. We wear crocs, no, no boots. So Heidi, what about that? Croc snow boots, is it in the pipeline? Good news, Croc snow boots exist today for our young super fans. So um, we do have a Croc snow boot that kind of looks like a classic at the bottom. Um, it has some puffed um, warmth around the ankle. So these guys are definitely innovators as it relates to the product <laughs> category. So we can service both of their needs today. Well, you may have deduced this by now, Heidi, but that is a Stengel family you've been hearing from. <laughs> and Teddy and Ollie and Casey is their two-year-old brother. And these are three boys, five and under. Uh, my nephew, Michael, is their father. Joey is their mother. Fabulous couple. And they really are croc crazy. And Joey, the mom, has a question for you. And she wants to know, what was the first pair like? And what is... What was the design process originally at Crocs and how has that evolved? Great question. So the first pair was a lot like the pair that they know and love today. The material shifted just a little bit um, to be a little more sturdy. I would say those of us who have an original pair, a pair that you probably got back into the mid 2000s, they're a little bit softer than the version we have today, but they're very, very similar. I think what's incredible about the story of Crocs is the brand was an innovator in the footwear space, right? Like there wasn't a lot of molded footwear at that point in time and in the category. And so that molded process is still the foundation of, of what we do today. She also wanted to know what the founders were like. Oh, well, I, I don't know them personally. I've heard, obviously, they're very innovative. I've heard great things about their passion around innovation and kind of solving a consumer-centric need. Um, but no, I haven't met them personally myself. All right. Well, that's going to be a tough act to follow, Teddy and Ollie, but I'm going to try. And I want to shift into maybe a little bit more of a discussion about your marketing strategy. And it's, it's just a brilliant one, I think, that is underlying this high-growth brand. And that is, you've talked about being fan-centric. You've just embraced what this brand really is, the polarization, the, quote, ugliness. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you turned this brand around. The trends were not good several years ago, and now they're fabulous. So can you take us back, Heidi, to, I don't know if it was in your office, in a cafe, on a patio somewhere, where the strategy sort of was born. And I think it was five or six years ago, so you were probably rel relatively new to the company then. So can, can you tell us a story about where, how you came to this thing? We're just going to embrace this, have fun with it, be all in on it, and that gave rise to this strategy, which you've been really executing since then. 
Yeah. So I would start by saying, you know, the business did a lot of work before we started the kind of brand transformation work. There was a lot that happened strategically around key products we wanted to focus on, key markets we were focused on, you know, enhancing the consumer experience from a supply chain perspective, et cetera. So there was a lot of work that we grounded ourselves in from an operational excellence perspective first, which I think is what's enabled us to really then focus on the brand transformation itself. To your point, um, the work started in 2016. And I'm really grateful that we as a team started with the vision of the brand. We didn't start with a marketing campaign, actually. We said, look, how do we want to position this company for the future? So we started by rewriting our vision. And the vision was actually driven by the human insight that, you know, as you kind of get into the research, as we all know, you know, consumers were like, yes, Crocs are ugly or they're different. Um, And Actually, the consistent human truth between our fans and our brand was that, yeah, we might be different, we might be ugly, but the way we describe ourselves equally is that we're both one of a kind. And it was that truth that grounded us in this transformation story. So with the insight that, hey, we might be different, we might be ugly, but most importantly, we are one of a kind, we rewrote our brand vision. And our vision is that we at Crocs believe that everyone should be comfortable in their own shoes. And it's that vision that yes, is grounded in the fact that we make incredibly comfortable product, right? That's what we heard from fans all over the world. But it also is that vision that informed our global manifestation to invite the world to come as you are. And that is, you know, how we approach consumer engagement still today. I think what makes Crocs different in the way that we rewrote both of those platforms is that neither of them were about us. Neither of them were about our product silhouettes or what we thought we wanted to set out to do. Both of them were intentionally grounded in our fans, that we want our fans to be comfortable in their own shoes and that our manifestation is just to invite them and encourage them to come as they are. So did this happen with your internal team? I mean, take us, what what actually happened for you to, because it's a beautiful purpose or vision, if you will, and and you, you really have brought it to life in the most creative way. Did you have an external partner? Did you do this internally? Was there a particular leader? Was it difficult to round people up around this idea? So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So we did create it in partnership with an agency, but I would say more importantly, we created it in partnership with team members throughout the organization. There was complete buy-in from the leadership team that we needed to do this work. There were interviews that happened with stakeholders from retail associates to merchandise managers in Korea, right? We brought in a lot of the current employees and asked them too, how they would describe this brand that you know, our employees are equally as passionate about Crocs as our fans are, I could say. And so, you know, we asked them how they would describe Crocs. We obviously asked our consumers how they would describe Crocs. And I think those insights actually more importantly informed the values that we wrote. We have values that we are delightfully democratic, that we are unapologetically optimistic, that we are confidently comfortable as a brand, that we have people purpose designed to how we approach solutions. And it's those values that guide how we still create uh, experiences for fans all over the world today. And I would say from the onset of introduction, everyone knew it felt right. And it's still guiding how we think about 
um, the brand and the brand positioning today. You hear this language used throughout, you know, of course, brand presentations and marketing activations, but more importantly, it's used throughout meetings internally and how finance thinks about how they're approaching solutions or supply chain and, of course, product. So I think it's probably the work I'm most proud of being a part of here at Crocs because you know you've done it right when the organization continues to rally around that foundation year after year. I just want to pause there for a moment, Heidi. It's such a lesson you just went through about if you really are trying to engage your organization to a higher level meaning with your fans or your customers, exactly what you described is how you do it. Right? It has to be everyone's. The purpose has to be felt and believed in and expressed in everyone's individual way by everyone in the company. And then just extraordinary things happen, which is exactly what's happening at Crocs right now. So thanks for that lesson. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, I want to know what you learned in the last five years about executing that vision. I mean, what's gone really well? Maybe what surprised you? What's been a challenge? The first area of focus we had, you know, five years ago was like, how do we install this consumer centric approach throughout marketing teams around the world, right? I think a lot of us are trained as marketers to find a human truth and then create an incredible marketing campaign to tell fans about that truth and and how it's associated with the brand. And, And our philosophy is actually grounded in listening to our fans and being a part of their story, not necessarily telling them ours. So teaching that approach took time. I would say it started small. It started with, you know, teaching the team that when, you know, a fan in wherever Florida reached out and asked us to send a hundred pairs of white classics to a graduating class because they were all fans. Like, how do we teach the team to feel empowered to send them a hundred pairs of white classics for their graduation? That approach is also how we approach partnerships and collaborations, right? This notion of authenticity and and building authentic communication with these partners is what inspired our first collaboration with Post Malone. It was a DM. Um, actually, it was started by a tweet when Post Malone, whose handle was is beer bongs and Bentley, he tweeted, "You can tell a lot about a man by the gibbets on his Crocs." And by then, the team felt empowered to take that insight and DM him and say, "Post Malone sounds like you're an incredible fan of the brand. Do you want to create something meaningful together for our fans?" It's also that fan-centric approach that inspired probably one of the campaigns that we are most proud of, which is about a year ago, doctors and nurses and their families and friends started reaching out to Crocs, asking for us to help at the onset of COVID, right? If we all look back and remember how scary and uncertain that time was, you know, these healthcare heroes needed a shoe that was easy to clean, comfortable to wear for these long shifts. And within five days of the first nurse DM, we initiated a program that we called Free Pair for Healthcare. And it's that program that helped us feel really confident that doing good is good for our brand 
and that listening to our fans and responding quickly when they need us is the foundation of how we go to market from a marketing campaign perspective. Well, Teddy and Ollie and Casey's dad is an emergency room doctor. Oh, gosh. And I'm pretty sure he wears Crocs to work. I'll double check on that. But anyway, uh, thanks for doing that. It's, it's, it's just a wonderful story. Hey, I, you know, as I was thinking about your brand, if you, if you read almost any marketing textbook, they talk about Volkswagen as a marketing innovator and embracing who they are and embracing back in the day, their ugliness. Mm -hmm. So I thought about them as a parallel for your brand, but I, I'd actually be curious what, what you and your team, what sorts of things inspire you? Are there other brands, other leaders, other people and culture who give you sort of ideas, inspiration, creativity? Yeah, I would say you're right. Like the Volkswagen story, gosh, that sparked a memory really quickly. Yeah, sure. right. Yeah, there, there, there's a there there for sure. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, what's funny is the headlines often position Crocs as this polarizing brand. And to your point early on, we're really comfortable with that. We love the polarization that is associated with this notion of self-expression. But we often look to brands that are known for being consumer-centric. Um, you know, my team talks about beauty brands such as Glossier, or they talk about, you know, Gucci and how Gucci is transforming the luxury market by being fan first and disruptive. So we often look at brands that are known for, for putting the consumer conversation and interest at the forefront. And that's the essence of our strategy. It just so happens to be that we make an incredibly polarizing shoe in the industry. Heidi, I've interviewed a lot of CMOs in this podcast, and we were talking about that before the show began. And I've interviewed a lot of kind of of the moment brands and CMOs. Glossier is one of them, which we just mm -hmm. talked about. But Puma, StockX, Everlane, Zillow, TikTok, and on and on. And you're right up there with them on all measures. So you are in a fabulous CMO role, which you know, and which I can tell from our discussion already. So I'd like you to tell us about your job. What do you do? How do you spend your time? What's a month in the life of Heidi like? What do you love about the job? Is there anything that drives you crazy? So just tell us about your job. I love my job. I am by far one of the luckiest CMOs in the world. I would say that's because <coughs> I have an incredibly talented team a team that is in constant pursuit of innovation and creativity. And we say yes as an organization far more often than we ever say no or wait. So we are a really empowered team. Um, we're empowered to take bold risks. We're empowered to be the first to market with, with innovations, especially as it relates to you know, the digital and social space. I spend my time oftentimes telling the team how great they are, right? We spend, it's funny. I spend a lot of time on social media and in team chats. We have this incredible culture 
on the marketing team where we're just constantly listening. And we've got this thread of, you know, celebrities being spotted in Crocs or a fan who sent us a letter or, you know, sharing insights around how fans have responded to a social post or a campaign. So a lot of what we spend our time on is looking at consumer conversations and talking about how we actively engage. And I love just kind of watching that thread unfold, you know, throughout the team. I spend a lot of my time also, as you would expect, in in leadership meetings, talking about the future of of this brand. We just introduced um, a pretty ambitious business goal to, to basically more than double the size of this business by 2026. And so we're spending a lot of time now as a leadership team talking about the sustainable growth um, priorities around how we continue to move this business forward. And those are really, really fun conversations to to now be a part of in, in my new role. You said you feel empowered to take risks, to act quickly, to jump on things happening in culture. Who empowers you? Is this coming from your boss, the executive team, your colleagues, your board, all the above? All of the above, yes. Our starting, you know, with our board, our board is so supportive of our work and our approach. I would say I have an incredible leadership team um, who definitely trust us to do what we believe is right for the consumer. I've got an incredibly supportive colleague base that constantly, you know, congratulates the work and the insight. And I think a lot of it is is the culture on on the marketing team as well. We really do, you know, try to set up a way of working that ensures that the team feels like they can make decisions or at least propose ideas that are often first. We're we're the first around a lot of innovations, and I think that's what we all get really excited about. I think if you had to summarize Crocs, the talent here is all A class around the world. And I think having the opportunity to work with incredible talent makes it easy to create memorable experiences for our fans with very, very little red tape. What's your secret to find, attract, and keep top talent? That's actually evolved over the last few years. It's funny. Um, Early on, I actually just had my first onboarding interview for the record with a new team member who's on our collaboration team. He was the first person that I've asked when I've said, hey, what do your friends think about you joining Crocs? It's taken five years for someone to be like, oh, my friends are so excited. They want this collaboration. They want this gibbet. For for four years and 11 months, a lot of our new hires have been like, well, you know, they, they kind of think they see the turnaround. They might've thought Post Malone was interesting. You know, five years ago, I think all of us were told coming to Crocs was career suicide. So it's evolved over time. I think what we look for is, you know, strategic and innovative thinkers. We look for new hires that want responsibility and accountability. We, we inspire progression. And so it brings to us talent that often doesn't look like textbook talent. Um, We look for those who have been in situations that are different than our situation today because they bring a lot of meaningful new perspective to how we approach the way we go to market. I think the only thing that we require is, you know, this obsession around fans on the marketing team. Like it's gotta be someone that understands 
our fan first approach and how that's different than maybe what they've been doing historically. And then we definitely look for talent that's strong at collaboration. We are a global team, a really matrix organization as many global brands. And so it's gotta be, you know, grounded in collaboration and influence and creating something powerful together. There are no, there are no eyes at Crocs. That's, that's for sure. It takes all of us to, to push this brand forward. I'll share with you a piece of trivia you probably don't know, but my one of my first managers or leaders at Procter & Gamble is on your board, Beth Kaplan. Oh my gosh, we love Beth. She yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, yes. she's a, she is just, she's got it all. Strategy, smarts, warmth, empathy, leadership, it's all there. It was all there at an early age, which is why she did so well at P&G and beyond that. And I, I, I sent her a little note that we were talking and she's, she's crazy about you too. Oh, and, yeah. she, and she had a couple of good questions I could ask. I may get to them or not. I don't know. But, they, but yeah, she's, uh, she just loves being on the board. I mean, the, uh, the brand has you know, a, a great, a fab, fabulous spirit that travels, which, which I kept hearing with everyone I talked to before this interview. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Yes. And we do have a fantastic board. I mean, there is so much support around the future vision and where we're headed. Um, and there is incredible resources that that we get to reach out to, which we're grateful for. Now, back to your job scope. One very interesting element is you have internal communications and external communications in your remit. And that's kind of unusual for a CMO. So could you tell us a bit about why? And what benefit you have seen from that? The why is because we believe that if everyone should be comfortable in their own shoes, there should be no disconnect between the experience our fans have and the experience our employees have. And so we approach communications holistically, uh, especially because of the essence of how we think about our brand and the invitation to come as you are. Like we, we intentionally ensure that that experience is consistent both internally and externally. And we have an incredible partnership with um, our chief people officer and her team to make sure that we're all grounding ourselves in the same human truths and the same interests in, in ways in which we want to bring this brand and move this brand forward. Any insights or uh fun ideas you have with internal comms? We, I would say a few things. We believe that frequent communication matters. We send frequent communication from our leadership team and our executive team. We, we leverage, you know, a variety of communication platforms to make sure that employees feel like they know what is happening from a brand perspective. We celebrate wins. You know, we love to celebrate, you know, campaign successes or, or crocs spotted in the real life. Um, and we oftentimes like to bring employees into the, the celebration too. Of course, you can expect that we are creating a, a very special croc day celebration, both internally and externally. And we do often approach communications from an internal and external perspective at the exact same time. So the brand had a great 2020, great 2021. You have this great strategic plan, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Is anything not going well? Are there hiccups, failures, challenges that you've learned from that has made you, your team, the company better? I would say we learn a lot, <laughs> especially in marketing. We have this this approach around reading and reacting. So making sure that we garner insights quickly around 
all of the activities um, we create for fans and employees. You know, I'd say our biggest challenge that's top of mind today is the way of working today and in the future. I think if I had to hindsight a challenge right now, it's been this kind of evolution of work-life balance. And how do we as leaders, you know, innovate solutions that help the our team members feel like they can happily work at Crocs, a company that is rapidly accelerating from a growth perspective in all key areas, um, and still feel like they're able to kind of balance work life, knowing that the ways in which we work and live today are so different than two years ago, as we all know. I'd say that's definitely something that's top of mind is just how do we maintain this culture of innovation and agility and creativity while also being mindful that it is a marathon, not a sprint. Any things you're doing that are working? Because this is a big, big issue with every CMO. In fact, I'm on a big session tonight, a virtual session on, hey, uh, everyone's hearing their people are tired and it's been a long two years. And what are people doing to deal with that, to overcome that, to uh, do everything you're talking about and instill the sense of uh, excitement and innovation and so anything you're doing, you know, tips, habits, rituals that, that others could learn from? Well, one, I'd love to, I'd love to join your session. I think okay, we too are eager to learn about, you know, what great, how great brands are cracking this code. I think, I think first and foremost, we are talking about it constantly as a leadership team is, you know, how do we continue to pursue a better culture as it relates to work-life balance? We're doing small things. We, you know, have summer Fridays off and we're blocking out time for people to work. We, you know, as a global marketing organization, the team has to spend a lot of time on calls outside of business hours. So we're trying to be mindful of like, okay, how does that change their their current day if they're talking to Asia from eight to nine o'clock at night? So we're we're being open and transparent that it's an opportunity. We are always open and transparent that great ideas to solve this can come from anywhere, but we too believe that there's there's work to be done at the leadership level to create some, some structure around how we can enable a relief around work-life balance as a leadership team too. I've heard you quoted as saying social media is at the heart of the brand. We've already talked about that uh, a few times. It's getting trickier to navigate that world now. So just what's some of your counsel, your brand that obviously was born in a way in social media and is certainly amplified every day and you do such a great job with it. How are you thinking about that right now? Any, any counsel for those listening in terms of thinking about navigating that space, which, which is, uh, as I said, tricky. Yeah, it, it definitely is getting trickier by the day to your point. I think we, yes, we remain grounded in this kind of digitally led social first approach, as we call it. I think if we look back to five years ago, our brand was was big from an awareness perspective, but our budgets were were small and we were nimble around leveraging social listening to inform, again, some of our best campaigns. We do that by having community managers that mine the insights and quickly bring them back to the brand. We too use some powerful social listening tools as well. But I would say a lot of it is the human connection of having 
community managers that are constantly mining the insights, quickly sharing them back to uh, what we call a pod, the small group of team members that are empowered to quickly respond and react to these fan conversations. That's how this all started from a Crocs perspective. We now are, are building out more sophisticated tools around listening and targeting and segmentation, like, like all the great brands. But we still believe a lot of those insights just come through social listening. And that remains a critical component of our strategy. I suspect you work an awful lot with the product group, right? Because mm -hmm. you're getting so many interesting issues from social listening. So uh, the, the interface between product and R&D and innovation and marketing is always an interesting one. Can you tell us a bit about how you work with them so successfully within Crocs? Yes, we are constantly working together. I would say the relationship between product, merchandising, and marketing is, is incredibly tight. We also, those three functions, in addition to the three GMs of the regions, all report to our brand president. So we believe that brand is at the forefront of how we go to market. And obviously, the essence of our brand is this incredibly iconic silhouette that we want to continually reimagine and reinvent. So I think it, it it's on both sides. I would say you know, what's interesting about one of the early stories of this transformation is that we can ignite what we like to call icon relevance. We set out early on to make our iconic clog relevant again with fans, meaning we had to show fans how to wear Crocs again. Um, one of my favorite stories is I still remember interviewing at Crocs and like everyone, right? You go to Google search trends, you're trying to dig into the kind of the perception of the brand and the number three Google search trend at that point in time was Crocs memes. It was first Crocs with an S, then Crocs with an S. The third most search trend of the brand was Crocs memes. And so it's that that informed this need to leverage consumer insights to drive relevance of an iconic silhouette that we all believed we needed to reinvigorate. And so it's been twofold. We take consumer insights and turn them into campaigns. Early on, that started with a volleyball team in Minnesota that all of a sudden was walk, rocking their white Crocs. And we took white Crocs and turned them into a ultimately global campaign, which took the white colored classic from number six to number one um, overnight, still remains one of our top performing colors, to leveraging social insights to inform product creation. A fun example of that is a kid named Colin who created a change.org petition back in 2019 for Crocs to make adult size Lightning McQueen classics. We of course engaged with him. We told him he needed to, you know, get 3000 signatures and we'd make them 30,000 signatures later. We brought to the world adult size Lightning McQueen classics. So we leverage that kind of insight to inform product creation. Social listening, you know, informs new designs, such as the reason why we brought a translucent clog to the market was because fans were asking for it on social media. We invite fans to vote on what gibbets they want us to create. We often ask them, you know, what would be their ideal collaboration? So we constantly share insights between our two teams. And, and it comes the other way too. We have an incredibly talented design trend and product team who are really good at identifying trends that will become mainstream relevant for our fans. And so their insights also inform the ways in which we want to go to market as well. Trend behavior, consumer behavior, often much earlier than what we see 
in social listening real time. So it's definitely a partnership. You are one of the best brands at building a diverse array of partners, right? You talked about Post Malone already, but Diplo, Priyanka Chopra, Benefit Cosmetics, Justin Bieber, Balenciaga, KFC. And by the way, I own one of the rare pairs of fried chicken Crocs from KFC. It's one of my most treasured corporate (laughs) gifts. Their CMO gave it to me. So I don't wear them. I just kind of put them on a shelf because they're so cool. So I want to know how this happens. What is it about your culture? What is it about the strategy behind it that led you to this incredible array of really interesting people who are helping your brand? Yes. So one of our core values, one of our brand values at Crocs is that we are delightfully democratic. And that is a filter for how we go to market as a brand. That is definitely a filter for how we think about collaborations. We too love the juxtapose, right? From Balenciaga to KFC to Post Malone, like that is intentional in engaging a democratic group of consumers. I think unlike other brands, we're okay having a broad and democratic group of consumers. We call them the explorers who are often consumers that are early you know, trend adapters, they might be following hype collaborations, or they might be, you know, engaging in the current trend. We also have a very mainstream consumer who we call the feel good, who definitely cares about style and comfort like the Explorer, but they only do that if it's versatile and it fits into their everyday lifestyle. So we do intentionally engage both of those consumer groups. And we have affinities that further and grow further guide how we think about, you know, the audiences that we want to engage with from fashion to sport, to conscious, to outdoor. As we think about partnerships, I would say the other foundational kind of filter that we lean on is that it has to feel authentic. We do not work with partners, whether it's collaboration partners, celebrities, influencers, even micro-influencers that do not have an affinity for our brand and our ethos to come as you are. And that, I think, is what's created the rapid acceleration of of brand consideration and, and resonance for and with our fans is that we're not writing checks. We are actively creating innovative and disruptive, right? Often disruptive activations that, you know, our favorite quotes are when fans are like, of course Crocs would do that. Of course Crocs and KFC would create a collaboration, right? Like nobody else would, but they would. And I think that is what, you know, further guides us as we bring partnerships to life. So I guess after this podcast, Teddy and Ollie will be micro-influencers, right? Oh, yeah. Don't worry. They're on my (laughs) list. The team will will definitely get them some divots to go with their pink and rainbow classics. We love that. They'll love that. Hey, uh, we we talked about your five-year strategic plan. I've seen your investor presentation where you put that together. And it looks, by the way, really achievable. It obviously includes a lot of expansion, especially in Asia. But I'd like you to share with us, as you created that plan and you think about what Crocs may look like at $5 billion in sales, how do you see the marketing function changing? What do you think are the most important capabilities to double down on and maybe new capabilities to build when you are a few times the size you are right now? Yes, I think what's remarkable about the growth strategy is that it's very focused 
and it's focused on our strengths as a brand. We believe there's opportunity to further create resonance around our iconic clog and scale that to sandals. That's the core of, of what we're setting out to do. We believe that it's still activating in tier one markets where we believe we can have the most impact and consumer connection. And I think from a marketing perspective, maybe ironically enough, but our strategic priorities have been the same for the last five years. And they'll probably be the same for the next five years because they're grounded in enhancing connection with our consumers authentically. It's about leveraging a digital social first approach. It's about connecting with partners that can further drive relevance and create brand resonance with our fans. And it will always be grounded in this approach around imaginative innovation. I think that's what makes us different especially as we pair it with this mindset to be incredibly agile and close to the consumer and close to market. We don't, well, I would say we, we do annual strategic planning. Yes, we have, you know, annual campaigns and product stories, but where we do things differently than other brands is that we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort being close to the consumer in real time. And I think that will continue to enable us to be the shoe of choice for these fans five years from now. I think we're really confident that this brand is not a fad. We get those headlines a lot. Um, the essence of what we're doing, the essence of everyone being comfortable in their own shoes is an insight that can ground us and continue to drive growth forward. What do you think is the most essential thing, Heidi, about the brand, the culture, the organization that must never, never change, even as you get much, much larger? I would say it is this fan-centric approach, which to your kind of earlier question of what's keeping us up at night is how do we scale, scale teams, scale opportunities, continue to have the brand show up in authentic places without losing what's at our core, which is this consumer-centric approach. I would say the other thing that must remain is that we continue to reinvigorate our icon. We have an incredible luxury that you can show our iconic clog in 90 countries around the world and consumers recognize it as Crocs. And so it's our job to keep that icon relevant through creative and disruptive ways um, because that's how we maintain this growth is, is not over fragmenting the work that we're doing today, but instead staying focused, keeping the solution simple, um, especially as we remain grounded in what the consumer wants of us now. You talk a lot about your fans and the icon and agility and speed. How fast have you turned around a product idea from an idea that maybe came from a fan or something that came from a fan that got validated? How, do, how quickly can you get something to market in your culture? Quick. We have brought gibbets to market within weeks. Um, our first Post Malone collaboration was created from the first DM to getting it under the Christmas tree for our fans within three months. I would say that is a competitive advantage of our brand and something we're continuing to pursue as you know the foundation of how we want to move forward as this kind of digital first consumer driven brand. I want to move into the next the last section of the podcast, which we call the creative brief. And the first question is probably one you, you are expecting. What's your favorite gibbets? 
<laughs> it's so hard because there's so many great ones that come out every weekday, it feels like. Oh, I, I'm trying to think because I've got some that I like today. I think, well, my favorite gibbet that I hold up on calls right now is you're on mute. Uh, as it relates to being good. close to marketing, close to the yeah. consumer. The second we were all on teams for a few weeks, the team was like, oh my gosh, we need a year on mute debit. So I still use that one a lot on teams calls. And, you know, I think there's a lot, I think what's, what I love about gibbets is that there are 13 holes on each shoe, which means there are 26 places where you can choose to express yourself And that is the fun kind of component of our brand is this notion of self-expression and how that can change. I have a fully loaded pair of gibbets today that have everything from my initials to a girl's rules gibbets to a cheersing glass of wine to to bring (laughs) you in on the secrets. So that's what I think makes it fun and also keeps our brand accessible. We we enable self-expression at a price point that a lot of consumers can engage with. And I think we love that accessibility of our, of our brand as well. I guess I shouldn't assume everyone knows what a gibbets is. So for those out there who may, <laughs> may not know what it is, I can't imagine that, but we should tell them what a gibbets is. Yes, a gibbet is the name of the little charms that you get to put in your favorite clogs or or croc sandals. And there's also some new and innovative ways you can use gibbets as well. We just introduced um, some new ways to engage with gibbets, pinbackers and um, rubber bands, basically, that you can tie on to sandals and put in your hair. There's now gibbets that you can clip onto shoelaces. Um, So they really are an enable and an extension of our brand um, to create conversation for fans. Do your daughters think you have the coolest job in the world? Yes, they call me the Crocs lady. Um, (laughs) They also scream really loudly when they see Crocs, like in real life. Mom, she's wearing Crocs. Or mom, I need to get my friend Crocs for their birthday. My three-year-old, I don't know if I should be worried about this, but my three-year-old hoards gibbets in her jewelry box. So as I bring home new gibbets, she's definitely the first to like peek through the bag and and hoard them. We should get her together with Ollie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Maybe there's a match made in heaven here. How many pairs of Crocs are in your home? Oh, my gosh. I know I... Over 40. Sorry, I'm just going to give you the answer. Over 40. I wear them every day. I wear them outside of the office. A lot of us wear Crocs in the office. It's amazing how cool our employees around the office can style a pair of classics. But I wear them every day. I've known it my kid's school is being the Crocs lady. I have no problem wearing them to out to dinner and to red tie events or black tie events if I have them. So yes, I have a lot of, a lot of Crocs and I wear them all actually. I don't save them, which maybe I'll regret that mm-hmm. in the future, but I love, I love to wear. You um, should be wearing the them. Designs. Right? Yeah. 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 You should save your KFC ones for the record because they are highly coveted on StockX, as I'm sure you know. Beth Kaplan was shocked that I had a pair and I told her I'm not going to go near StockX. And she she sent me a smiley face. (laughs) Your education background is unusual for a CMO, right? You studied at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles, got a graduate degree in organizational leadership, and... I just want to know how that path has been helpful for you as a modern CMO of a fast growth brand. Yeah, I would say 
I would say the decision to go to FITM was one that in hindsight, looking back was one that was definitely grounded in this kind of challenge that I grew up in a small town in Wyoming. I ended up going to high school. I went from being this global citizen to going to high school in a small town and graduating with a hundred people of which probably a third of them I'm related to. So (laughs) I was definitely looking to experience something different. I knew I wanted to be in marketing and in retail. For some reason, I had clarity on that at 18. And when I looked into, you know, the FITs and the FITMs of the world. I loved how their program was grounded in real life. The professors are in the industry. The programs are really fast paced and innovative. And that's definitely what I was looking for from my institution of sorts. I also loved that it was in Los Angeles. I was ready to get to a a bigger city, Um, but I also love that it was hard. It was hard coming from a small town. I worked two jobs throughout school um, to be able to live in Los Angeles. So there was that kind of self-realization that I experienced that I'll forever be grateful for. Then I you know, started my first, first job kind of out of college and quickly recognized that I wanted to be a leader. I grew up playing sports, was always a team captain. Maybe there's there's a there there, but mm-hmm. um, I knew I wanted to first and foremost be a great leader. And so that's when I went back to get my master's degree and continued pursuing kind of development as it relates to, to management and, and leadership. I think there's something that grounds me every day, which is this notion of being memorable. We create memorable moments for our fans. That's kind of the essence of the approach um, that we lead with here at Crocs. But I also think there's something so powerful in being a memorable leader. I think what I've learned over the last, gosh, however many years is that you often forget the work. It's easy to forget the campaigns. It's easy to forget, you know, the moments. You never forget who you worked with and who you worked for. And I think that's something that grounds me every day. You know, it's interesting you say that my most cherished artifact from my career at P&G was a book my team gave me when I turned 50. And it was my global marketing leadership team. So it was a big team. And they put a book together. It was called The World According to Jim. And it was the anecdotes, the experiences, the jokes, uh, the everything that we did together. And and the theme is, you know, I, I brought them together and helped them be a better leader than they ever imagined they could be. And it was told in funny ways and silly ways, but it's it's absolutely far and above the most cherished artifact I have. And that underscores everything you're saying. Yeah, I love that. Gosh, what an incredible compliment. Congratulations, right? That's the dream. It was a great team. Okay, last question, almost last question. Who's been the greatest inspiration in your life? Well, I'd start by saying I am inspired by humans around me every day, whether that's my kids, my husband, who probably wouldn't like that. I'm admitting that he spends more time on TikTok than I do. Um, my team, my leadership, my colleagues, I'm just a constant, you know, learner from those around me. I love this kind of sharing of information and insights. I would say, obviously the most impactful person is, is my mother. Um, she has an incredible resilience to her. She is 
optimistic and compassionate and is really good at grounding my sister and I in, in what really matters most and reminding us to not get, you know, in our heads or uh, above ourselves. Like she's got this constant kind of grounding nature to her that I think keeps us humble and somewhat, you know, I would say humble and also drives this like hustle that's in us to, to do more, do better, um, and be better. Heidi, this has been such a fabulous and personal conversation. I want to end this with an open invitation to you that if you're ever in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with your daughters, you have an open invitation from Teddy, Ollie, and Casey to come over for, and I can tell you what the, uh, what, what they'll share with you. They'll, you'll have donuts. You'll have some pretzels, perhaps. You'll have some cookies. And you'll have something from their garden. I love that. <laughs> so thank you. Well, thank you so much. Yes. It's been great fun. That was my conversation with Heidi Cooley. Three takeaways from this one for your business and your life. The first one is how to be fan-centric. This was an incredible workshop on how to build a fan-centric culture. Crocs is successful because how close they are to fans and how quickly they build on fans' ideas and inspirations. Second takeaway, have extreme clarity on the kind of people you want to bring in to make your culture better. Heidi went through the checklist of how they recruit and hire and bring people into their culture to lift them up and make them a better company. We often hear people say, you should hire people who are better than you. Yes, that's true, but this was very specific on the kinds of things they look for to make their culture better. Third takeaway, picking partners to help your brand, how to pick partners. The beautiful lesson here was they pick partners who are diverse, who are organic to the brand, and who are natural to the brand. And as a result, they have a list of companies and people who partner with them in the most creative way that helps that brand reach a broader audience. And there's a bonus lesson on this one, and that one is Croctober. What is Croctober? Croctober is a big idea that they bring back every year, and it grows the brand and builds fan engagement. Make sure your organization is focused on stuff that is big and repeatable. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.